Today we're going to to uh, have a little bit of a break in our series in First Peter. Uh, today we're going to be sharing with you from the Gospel of John. We'll pick up the series on exile on next week, but across all of our campuses today we are we are uh, breaking from the series in First Peter, and uh, we'll pick up that series on next week. Lord saying the same, uh, but today we're going to share with you from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter five. And uh, verses 1 through 9. So when you find that, say, I got it. All right. You need a minute? Say, just a minute. All right. The goal of every pastor is to get no just a minute. That's a, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. The word of the Lord comes to us saying, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Maybe in your text it says, do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. I want to share with you a simple question today. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. In the context of this scripture, we find Jesus attending one of the Jewish feast celebrations. And it is, interestingly enough, the Sabbath day. Now, John doesn't tell us exactly what feast celebration that we have uh, Jesus uh, attending or celebrating But he says that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, anytime you were traveling in those days and you were going to Jerusalem, it was always an ascension. Jerusalem set as a high city in the high hills. And so whenever you went to Jerusalem, not only did you physically go up to Jerusalem, but it was also a spiritual connotation that anybody who would go to the holy city of Jerusalem would be going up. So Jesus had come to Jerusalem from Galilee. He had just healed the son of a nobleman, and he arrives in the northeast section of the city at a place called the Sheep Gate. Now, Jerusalem had many gates. 
and many uh, entrances into the city. And the sheep gate is just what it sounds like, uh, the gate where they brought the uh, lambs in uh, to, to deal with the, uh, the temple and where the exchange was going to be. Uh, it might not have been much of a different look than uh, back in the old days in Chicago. They had the, what's called the stockyards. And, uh, and anytime you're around livestock and things like that, the sheep gate probably didn't have the best aroma. <laughs> but yet and still... Here's Jesus going to uh, a place called the Sheep Gate. And at this particular gate is a pool called Bethesda, which the scripture tells us had five colonnades or five porches that were at this pool. Now, this pool was known to be a place where miraculous healings took place. Now, my brothers and sisters, it's not at all surprising that people in need of healing would congregate at a place where they had a chance for healing. And and, and that's that's the interesting thing here. They they came together to this place where because somebody had said that they had gotten healed at this place. Now we don't even have any real biblical evidence that actual healings took place. Now, I want you to understand how sometimes superstition works. Sometimes there are things that people say, hey, I tried this and, I, and it worked. I tied my shoestrings instead of the left one first, I tied the right one first. And things worked out. I had a good day, so I'm going to do that from now on. Uh, the late, great basketball coach Jerry Tarkanian used to carry a towel on his shoulder in every game. He carried that towel. And during the course of the game, I think to keep from yelling at the referees, he'd bite the towel. <laughs> but that was part of his, his superstitious practice. So we don't know for sure. Maybe, maybe not. There were miraculous healings going on at this place called Bethesda, this pool of Bethesda. But what we do know is that many people who were sick and ill and had those kinds of physical maladies would gather around this pool of Bethesda. Now, this is a well-known, in this text, a well-known interaction between Jesus and this man. How many of you have heard, heard this story before or read it in Scripture? Amen. Amen. So you know about this interaction between Jesus and this man. Theologians classify this as the beginning of a section in in the Gospel of John that focuses around the reaction of Jewish leaders towards Jesus during various festival times. In fact, there is a one one uh, commentary suggests that that this interaction Uh, in John chapter 5 is actually a crime scene because later Jesus will be accused of healing on the Sabbath. And so for all you CSI fans, we've got a crime scene here. The crime is at at the pool of Bethesda. And later on, Jesus gets accused of, of, of healing someone on the Sabbath. Not the first time that he would get accused of healing on the Sabbath. However, for our purposes, I would suggest that we view this man and the people at this pool, let us view them as metaphors 
for the condition of our world today. Historically, they speak to an event in time and space. But metaphorically speaking, they speak volumes about our current condition. Now, let us walk through a detailed comparison of the people at this pool and our current culture. Now, at the pool, there were three specific types of people. Blind, which means they were absent of sight and vision. Lame, which means they were weak and unable to move. And paralyzed, which means dried up, shrunk, wasted, and withered. Now, juxtaposing that against our modern society, we live in a world where we have people who are blind. Amen? Spiritually speaking, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, look at this now, the God of this world, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What a powerful statement. What a powerful statement about what is going on in our world today. People are blinded by the God of this world and they don't see the glory of the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Satanly, Satan, Satan purposely blinds the eyes of people. You want to know why? Sometimes when you share the gospel with folks, they don't get it right away. It's because the enemy has blinded their eyes to the truth. Now, let's not sit here today like we have always just got the truth the first time. Amen. I'm going to loosen you up today if I have to use a wrench. I'm just saying. <laughs> let's, let's not pretend that somehow we, we, have, we have always got it the first time. There were many of us who heard the gospel over and over again, but because we wanted to see things our way, we were blinded to the truth of the gospel. Because we thought that we knew the best prescription for our own lives. We were blinded by Satan to the truth of the gospel. So we rejected Christ by ignoring Christ. But Christ is someone you cannot just skip. Every time. We are confronted with the truth of Christ. We have to make a decision. Reject or believe. You can't skip him. Amen. Look at somebody and say, you can't skip Jesus. Can't skip him. And so, and so you know, I might be able to skip what you say. <laughs> but I can't skip Jesus. And so, and so the, the God of this world 
purposefully. That is Satan's role to blind people's eyes to the truth. Now, this this is why, again, in modern culture, you see this attack on the gospel, this attack on Christianity, this attack on the truth of God's word, because Satan is blinding people's eyes. You've got people with their eyes blinded who are operating in media, who ridicule Christians for what they believe, who make fun of us because we say we believe God, who make fun of us because we gather and we pray and we believe that the, the power of prayer. And so it's because Satan has blinded the eyes of people. Now, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Think about that. If you hate your brother, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of of where they live, where they come from, if you hate your brother, you are walking in darkness. In the 50th anniversary of the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, we're reminded as a nation of this very fact that we must, we must work harder to love one another. You know, one of the great truths and the great things, uh, one of my Facebook friends put up, uh, you know, what's your thoughts on, on, on Selma 50 years later and where we are as a nation? And I put up there, the multi-ethnic church is the answer to all these problems. Why? Because Christians must take on this issue of race and be able to say that racism is a sin and the answer for sin, the cure for sin is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, and so John says that you're walking in darkness and not only you're walking in darkness, you don't even know where you're going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This blindness is caused by the darkness of evil explains why brothers commit violence against brothers. One of the leading cause of death of men in our community is, is violence at the hands of another man that looks just like him. I mean, we have, to, we have to recognize what is the cause, what are the root causes. Now, people can tell you all kinds of things like poverty and, 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 and uh, lack of economic opportunities and, and, and being raised in a single-parent home and, and all of these things. But I tell you, when you get down to it, the real issue here is that sin is running rampant in our communities and causing people to commit violence against one another. There is nobody that strives on chaos more than Satan. He loves chaos. He loves uh, violence. He loves discontent. And those things, he tries to reproduce every chance he gets. He doesn't want you to have peace in your home. He doesn't want you to have peace in your family. He doesn't want you to have peace on your job. Peace is the antithesis of Satan. He wants war. He wants chaos. And that's why the word of the gospel is so important. 
That's why it needs to be preached in the street corners of Gary, Detroit, Atlanta, L.A., Chicago. It needs to be preached in, in, in the farm towns. It needs to be preached in Rensselaer and Delphi and all these other places. The gospel needs to be preached to the whole world. Because Satan wants to destroy. He's blinded people's eyes. Not only does he want physical death, but he wants to murder reputation, and he wants to destroy hope through the use of stereotypes. He wants us to stereotype one another so that we begin to destroy the hope in people's lives. He wants people to see themselves only the way in which they've been framed by the social constructs of race and ethnicity. He wants us to see ourselves in those limited ways and not see the great potential that lies within every person that God has made in His image. You have God potential in you. I don't care what the social scientists say. You have God. I wish I had a witness here. You have God potential in you. You sit there and let somebody tell you what you can't do. I serve a a father in heaven that's all powerful. You tell me what I can't do. Come on here, somebody. I'm so crazy that if I want to go to Harvard and get a Ph.D. tomorrow, I believe I can do it in the power of God. I'm just that crazy. Don't you let somebody tell you. We have our children being boxed in, telling them you can't do this and you can't do that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You have God potential in you. Because you're made in his image and his likeness. Now, stack on top of that. The fact that you're a believer. And somebody you say, ooh-wee. <laughs> how, how wonderful is that to know? You have God potential in you. And so Satan wants to destroy. Now, we even have some blind people in the church. <laughs> One of the problems with the with the institutional church is that we've got people that don't really see the power of God for what it really is. We've got leaders who do not see the power of servant leadership. They want to be served rather than to serve. We've got people who come here who it's more important to call their name than it is for them to serve in the name of Jesus. I wish I had a witness here. We've got to get out of this idea where, where the church is about us and bring us back to the idea where the church is all about Jesus Christ. One thing you won't have to worry about here at Bethel Church is a whole month of pastor anniversary. Look, look, let me tell you something. Let me tell you why I don't really celebrate. I mean, it's nice if you say, Pastor, you know, you've been here a year, praise God, all that kind of thing. That's nice. Let me tell you why I don't get off into that. Because I know where I've come from. And every day that the Lord gives me an opportunity to serve is a great day. I celebrate every day that he lets me speak to his people every day. That God fills me with his presence every day. 
is a great day because of who he is. We spend so much time. We we got you know have past anniversary. Got to you got to bake food, bake goods, and and fry chicken and all that other kind of stuff, and 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 sell dinners and all that. You know to honor the pastor. Look, let me tell you something. Yes, you ought to honor your pastor, but we ought not spend a whole month doing it. Where you go to one of those services and you and I've got off on tangent here. I realize that, but you got, but you go. You go one of those services and you spend, and all it's all about the person. What does an unbeliever say when they come in there? This church is about that preacher. I am crazy enough to understand that God didn't have to choose me. I'm on scholarship. (laughs) He didn't have to choose. He could have anybody doing this. Are you hearing me? If he wanted to have Jordan up here preaching, he could do it. Amen. That's God. That's God's doing. He can do it. And I'm just saying that, that, that that's what we have to say. The church has to be all about Christ. And so we've been blinded to the power of being a servant. You know, we, we got to stop building for ourselves these little kingdoms within the kingdom of God. Our Lord teaches us what happens when the blind lead the blind. They both end up in the ditch. Amen. So now, here's another thing about our modern world. In our modern world, we've got people who are lame. Now, being lame means weak and unable to move. It's kind of what some of our young people used to tell me, Pastor, your jokes are lame. (laughs) They are weak and unable to move me at all. You know who you are, amen. <laughs> like that's lame, man. That's <laughs> so. So the, in the Greek word there means weak and unable to move. So that's my comedy routine right there. But because of the awful effects, because of the awful effects of entrenched sin, many people find themselves weighted down, mired, and weakened to the point of stagnation. We watch one generation after another make the same mistakes how many times have we seen things repeat themselves in families over and over again god would have us to put an end to the generational sin now watch this i don't believe in generational curses i believe in generational sin I believe that you watched somebody in your family do this and you turned around and did it yourself. If your daddy loved a lot of women, oh, I'm coming by your house right now. You end up loving a lot of women because you watched that your whole life. Oh, if your mama was telling your daddy off all the time, how you think you're going to act when you get a husband? Hmm? We're talking about generational sin. We're talking about sin that repeats itself through generations because we have been moved or, or weakened to the point where we are stagnant. We don't. We can't move. We're lame. Now, let us not be too quick, though, to charge those in the streets with full responsibility for their weakness. 
many of those folks came to church, which is supposed to be the place of healing, and found out that nobody in the church was troubling the waters. Let me, let me illustrate it to you from a, from, a, from a story in Scripture. A concerned father once brought his son to Jesus or to the disciples. And, and, and his son was possessed by a demon. He was throwing himself in the fire and, and all this kind of stuff. And the, the demon was really trying to destroy his son's life. And he brought his son to, to, to disciples and, and they could not help him. And so the father says this to Jesus. He says, I brought my son to your disciples and they didn't do him any good. And that's an indictment of what happens in our churches today. People come here hurting, and what do we do? We shoot our own wounded. Got to be the only army in town, only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. You're in the Marines. The Marines have a battle, battle up mantra that says we never leave a man on the field. If you're in the army of God, we'll step over you. On our way somewhere else. So we have to understand that God has called us to 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 move beyond this idea of being lame in our in our working in our in our ministries. Now we also have people in our contemporary times that are paralyzed. In the same manner that physical paralysis struck the people around the pool of Bethesda, there's a spiritual paralysis gripping our nation and specifically our cities. Paralysis in this context uh, that is that one is dried up. We live in a world where many people merely exist in what I call a spiritual desert. That everything is just dry in your entire life and, and, and everything is, is, is without any, any real sense of nourishment that would bring forth life. So you, you're moving from one dry place to another dry place in your life. It is in the context of this comparison that the message of the encounter between Jesus and this man speaks to us. We know that Bethesda represents the condition of our world and that this man represents the condition of far too many of us who live in that world. Now, with this in mind, there are three important elements of this text which speaks to us. Now, watch this. The first is the difficulty of this man's condition. The difficulty of this man's condition. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, this man was in bad shape. Okay, he's in bad shape. You look at this text and really get get the difficulty. It would be remiss on our part if we did not recognize just how difficult the circumstances of this man's life. He was he was lame. lame he couldn't move. Yet he was close to a place of healing. Now, imagine how you would feel if you live next door to the lottery winner and your rent was due. Boy, you be in there baking cookies, talking about, oh, I just brought you some cookies. Want to make sure you all right. (laughs) He was close to healing, but couldn't get there. He was close to being delivered, but could not make it under his own power. He was lame. And next to the place of healing. In addition to his lame condition, 
he endured the rea- the grim reality of being around sick people day in and day out. Can you imagine what it would be like if all of your days were spent around sick people? I'm going to tell you all why Mother Teresa got honored. One reason is she was able to maintain her servanthood for Christ around sick people every day. You have to be a special person to be able to move in and out and around sick people every day without losing your balance. I'm not saying there might not have been days when Mother Teresa went in and prayed to God and said, Lord, I don't see how this is going to work out. Because I prayed that prayer, and I'm telling you right now that God still has the same answer that he gave likely her and he gave to me, that we must trust in him. But imagine every day, this man was around sick people. And then not only was he around sick people, he was there every day. So how many times in 38 years did he see somebody get blessed? How many times in 38 years did he say that that maybe that person got healed? You know, and I want to share with you today and ask you this. Have you ever felt like you were watching everybody get their blessing but you? Have you ever been there? Looks like everybody's getting something but me. Looks like everybody's got something going on well in their life, but I'm still struggling. This man represents many in our world and our church today who are spiritually lame, unable to move, blinded by the trappings of this world, and paralyzed by fear. It is indeed a difficult position to watch others succeed and feeling like you are stuck in a bad condition. This man's condition was dire. 38 long years. One bit of Bible trivia here is that Israel actually was in the desert 38 years. Now, I'm not telling you there's a connection, but it is interesting to note that here Jesus is now confronting a man that's been in a lame, paralyzed, and blinded position for 38 years around other people who are in that same condition. So the second thing that jumps out at us in this text is the unique nature of the question that Jesus posed to this man. This is a unique nature of this question. Jesus asked this man a unique question, and one he never asked anyone else he encountered. Think about that. Of all the healing that Jesus did, he never asked anyone else the question, do you want to be made whole? Do you desire... To be healed. In fact, given this man's condition, it almost seems insensitive to ask such a question. Man, I'm at the pool of Bethesda. Can you see that man's face? Jesus coming here, do you want to be made whole? Boy, if I could move, I would get up out of his face right now. You better be glad I'm paralyzed. I can't run away from you. How in the world are you going to ask me? I am at the pool of healing, and you ask me a question. Do I want to be made whole? It's 
Some of you in here today are in the place of healing. But this question still applies to your life. This question is still applicable to your situation because even though you are here in the sanctuary of God at a place of healing, you still need to decide if you really want to be made whole. So Jesus asked him, if you want to be well, imagine if you heard that question. I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd be like, man, please, look at me. I'm in bad shape. And you ask me that question, but let me help you understand something. Some of us in here are in bad shape spiritually, but we've made peace with it. At least in our minds, we think we have. We think we made, we made peace. Well, that's just how I am. That's just how I'm going to be. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a forgiving person. And you've made peace and pronounced yourself in that situation. And I'm saying to you, how is it that you can't forgive your brother of one thing when God has forgiven you of everything? Watch this now. Watch this now. However, we take a close examination. It shows us that Jesus was not being insensitive, but really getting to the heart of this man's issue. Let us look at the word for well or whole in this passage in order to understand to understand this and shed light. The Greek word for whole or well here is is uh, hugies. That's how you pronounce it, hugies, and it's spelled H-Y-G-I-E-S. It means to be sound as in sound body. Interesting enough, the word hugies is the word our English word hygiene comes from. See, all of us, you know, we've got this thing that hygiene has something to do with how you smell. That, that's, not, that's not what hygiene really is. Hygiene is a soundness of, of body. It's a soundness. It's a health. And so hygiene comes from the word hugies. Now, we understand that Jesus was asking the man not so much if he just wanted to walk, but do you want a restoration of health both physically and spiritually? Because even though your physical body is broken down, I can heal your physical body. But I'm asking you if you want to be made whole because you got some spiritual problems that need to be dealt with. Jesus saying, do you really want a restoration to full health and not simply the use of your legs? We can even better understand this when we examine the answer that the man gave Jesus. Jesus asked the man. Do you want to be made well? Look at what he said. He said, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down in front of me. Or steps down before me. At first glance, this seems like a reasonable answer. But it is not the answer to the question Jesus asked. The Lord is asking, do you want to be made well? You're telling him why you haven't been in the water. Think about that. Think think about that for a minute. God is saying to you, do you want to be restored to physical and spiritual health? And you saying, well, I ain't got nobody to put me in the water. Watch this now. How many of us 
in here today sit close to being made whole? How many of our brothers and sisters and neighbors and friends are on the brink of healing but just can't seem to get there under their own power? Jesus asked this man as he asked all of humanity, do you want to be made whole? Yet we answer with an excuse for our condition. Well, you see, Lord, that woman you gave me is the reason I can't be healed. You see, Lord, if I had a better job, I would be made whole. You see, Lord, if I made more money, I'd be made whole. You see, Lord, my children would do right. I'd be made whole. You see, Lord, if this, and you see, Lord, if that, when I get to yours, just say something. You know, we give God all these excuses for why we're not made whole. And that's not even the question he asked. Do you desire to be in a place of spiritual wholeness? Do you want that? Do you desire it? Now, the last thing is that God gives us a pathway to wholeness. Praise the Lord, we have a pathway to wholeness. If we are ever to become whole, we must stop, first of all, stop making excuses for your circumstance. I was born poor. You can still be whole. I was born rich. You can still be whole. Rich doesn't mean you're whole. You know, I, I, I don't have the, the greatest of, of physical looks. You still can be made whole. Beauty is still in the eye of beholder. You're made in the image of God. Somebody don't like what you look like, tell them to take it up with the Lord. So we have to stop making excuses for our circumstances. I played team sports and I was fortunate enough to have coaches that wouldn't accept excuses. And so so I would come to the bench and say, Coach say, Why aren't you guarding that guy? Coach, he's fast. The coach would look at me and say, be faster. Man, you got to be kidding. (laughs) But in my mind, I had to go out on that floor and convince myself that no matter how fast he was, I was going to be faster. Stop making excuses. Now, second thing on the pathway to wholeness is we must refrain from the practice of blaming others for not helping us with our condition. There's some of us sitting in here today that have played the blame game your whole life. It's always somebody else's fault. They didn't do this. My mama didn't rock me enough. My daddy wasn't home. I, 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 I had this. I didn't have it. Nobody would help me. Oh, stop blaming others, especially for your foolishness. Nobody held a gun to your to your to your your head and said, "Go on and 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 get that man your phone number in the club." They might tell you you had to go on a date with him. You did that on your own, and you knew he was shady when you first saw him. Y'all don't have to say, "Man, I." You knew he was shady. He walked shady. (laughs) 
got shady all over it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm starting to set somebody free in here today. I, 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 it just looks shady. And there you go talking about who me? I mean, that dude might as well have two horns and a pitchfork. You like, come on over here, bro. <laughs> so, I'm just saying. I don't want you to leave you with the impression there aren't a few she-devils, too. I just, there are a few, few ladies that are shady. But you have to stop blaming people. This man, you know, as soon as Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? The first thing he says, I don't have anybody else to put me in the water. Now watch this. 38 years. 38 years. I'd like to believe if that was me, that in 38 years, I'm going to find a way to roll down into that water. I can't walk. I'm going to be on my elbows doing whatever I need to do. And I'm going to be right on the edge. And as soon as the angel trouble the water, plop, I'm rolling right in. But 38 years, he sat there blaming other people for not dragging himself, him, him down into the water. Stop blaming other people. If you want to be on the path to wholeness. The other thing is, if we ever to heal in our communities and the people within them, we must understand that God gives the only path to true wholeness. For too long, like this man in our text, we depended on others to get us out of our situation. I mean, how frustrated, how much more frustrated can you get with politicians before you understand that they're not the answer? Oh, you, you ain't got to even say nothing. I, some of you right now, I, well, you know, I, I, hey, I'm just telling you. Every election cycle, oh, I, they're not doing this, and they're not doing that, and the politicians are wrong here, and they're wrong there. Politicians and government is not the answer. Government was not created to restore fallen humanity. Only the gospel of Jesus can do that. Government is there just to keep order. That's why God allowed government, just to keep order. I'm not looking for a president or a mayor or a governor to be my salvation. Are you kidding me? So then what is the true path to being whole? In our text, our Lord Jesus gives us the path to true healing for ourselves and our neighbors and the world. He says three simple things to this lame man. First thing he says is to rise. This word not only is used to mean get up from where you are laying down. It also means to wake up and get up from the place of sleep. If you want to be made whole, then wake up and get up. If you want to help others be made whole, then you must arouse them from their state of slumber. What wakes up the heart is the gospel of Jesus. When you find out that you are a sinner in need of saving, there is an awakening that happens in your life. Wake up. Rise. Next, Jesus says to the lame man, take up your bed. 
To take up means to carry that which has been raised. Watch this now. If you rise, then you must carry everything that goes with you. Jesus knew this man had a bed. It was his bed and therefore his burden to carry. It's your bed. It's your burden. Oh, you ain't getting this, see. You want somebody else to carry your bed. You want somebody else to carry your burden. You read Galatians 6, 1 and said, oh, bear one another's burdens. And you think, oh, everybody's got to bear everybody's burden all the time. No, sometimes you got to carry your own load. The Lord did not even offer to help him carry his bed. Here Jesus standing over this man. Says, rise, take up your bed. Jesus didn't say, man, let me help you get your bed together. 38 years, that bed was in some disarray, no doubt. Jesus didn't even offer any help. He says, you get up and you take up your bed. Carry your own load. He knew this man had to try. Perhaps one thing that keeps us paralyzed by the pool is that we are waiting for somebody to carry our own load. We raise our children and we carry their load well into their adult years. Somebody getting set free right now. Some of you mamas can't think about a day when your children are away from home and you keep them there. You carry their load well into their adult years. And you know what happens? They become lame and paralyzed and still living in your house. I know it wasn't going to be a lot of amens there, but My father was funny. <laughs> he started that process of getting out at about seven years old. <laughs> First time I looked like I was disagreeing with something he said. Amen. He was like, you got options, man. <laughs> don't think this your only hope. <laughs> you if you don't like it here, hit the bricks. <laughs> Kids say kick rocks. <laughs> you know. You must have a better deal somewhere, and I suggest you take it. See, that's, that's what he said. Now, the last thing this man, the Lord says to this man, is to walk. At first glance, it seems like a simple enough command. But let us remember that the Lord is talking to a man that has not taken a step in 38 years long years it's been a long time since this man has done any walking if we look at the word walk in the greek it means much more than putting one foot in front of the other it means to make one's way to progress to make due use of opportunities so if you're walking in the Greek New Testament, you're not just putting one foot in front of the other. You have a destination and a goal, and you're going to take advantage of every opportunity that comes before you to reach your goal. Now watch this, because somebody's going to get set free right now. You want to make a lot of money, you want to get a high-paying job, and you don't have a high school diploma, the first step is to get the high school diploma. See, I, see, you didn't get that. 
you end up praying for God to give you a $70,000 a year job and you have zero education. You meet zero requirements. Watch this now. I'm not telling you God can't do that. For some of us, he has. But I'm saying to you that there are some opportunities along this path of wholeness that you have failed to take advantage of. So if it means if it means that I'm having difficulty reading, then I'm going to find a way to become a better reader. So I can get my high school diploma, get my college degree. I went back to school in my 40s to get a college education. I miss opportunities as a young man, but I can't let that stop me. And so I'm telling you that they made it so easy for you to go to college. Now you can do it in your living room. In your pajamas. My wife would tell you, many a day I sat there in my house room doing homework. In my living room, taking a class online. So if you want to be made whole, we must make our way toward opportunities to help us progress. The first step is to get right with God. Believe the gospel. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean to your own understanding. Too many times we walk, but we walk in the wrong direction. If we must walk, let us walk toward the Savior and away from our sin. Can't you see this man as he got up on the word of the Lord? Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He had sense enough to believe that he could rise simply because Jesus told him he could. You're tired of waiting by the pool of life. Then my brothers and sisters, I suggest to you, it's time for you to believe God. It's time for you to take up your bed and walk. It's time to stop blaming other people. It's time to stop saying who hadn't done what for you. All of us have consequences and circumstances in life. It's time for you to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Take up your bed and walk. Do you want to be made whole? Come on, give God some praise today.